This season of Long Story Short is presented by J29 Incorporated and the Nikki Healy Memorial Scholarship Fund. A brighter media group original. And we thought, oh, this is be great to at least do like a thousand seats. And I think we sold 230 tickets. And I just said, I think we might be done. Welcome to Long Story Short. I'm David Paul. Have you ever experienced failure and felt the same? You think you're done? That's what Mike Alley thought. He was wrong. There are many people in and around the concert business who know me as the cookie man. We started a tradition years ago that Backstage at our Baltimore shows, we serve burger cookies. If you're from Baltimore, you know these cookies. They are a shortbread cookie that is hand-dipped in cocoa fudge, and it's made with no preservatives. So they're made fresh and delivered fresh just locally around the Baltimore area. We would, no matter what dessert was, backstage and catering or whatever that night was, we'd have packs of burger cookies. And people would be like, what is this? And we have pictures over the years of so many artists eating burger cookies. But I'll never forget, I was at a convention in Nashville, music convention, literally on the walking across a third floor level of this open lobby. And down from the first level, literally yelling across hundreds of people there going, Cookie Man! And I looked down, and it was it was uh, the drummer for Point of Grace. If I come to Nashville for some reason for something and I bump into somebody, they're like, you, you don't have any of the burger cookies on you, do you? And I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't carry them with me because they melt. If you've ever been to a Bright FM concert, you're there because of Mike Alley. In addition to being part of the Bright FM morning team with Tracy Tiernan, Mike also heads the concert part of this ministry, and he's widely respected around the country because of that. How did Mike Alley, the concert promoter, go from I think we might be done to Cookie Man? It's a fun story. It's also a story about how God is using Bright FM to make hope louder. The first concert I remember going to was, I, I don't know if it was the Ohio State Fair or if it was an appearance. But it was a group from the 70s called Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. And they had the song Billy Don't Be a Hero, which was like a one-hit wonder from the 70s. But love that song, love that group. And I remember my dad taking me. I just remember it was a sea of people. We were all standing, and he had to put me on on his shoulders so that I could see. I'm going to say I was seven it was first or second grade was probably the first show I remember, like, I want to go see this. And my dad took me and and, you know, we went to went to go see them. Mike, of course, loves concerts because he loves music. I sing. I've always uh, I've always loved singing. And so did chorus and choir through schools. You know, always thought it'd be cool to be in a band, but was never in a band. I play uh, fair to Midland drums, and I play enough guitar to plunk around on some chords, but just never had really kind of the natural aptitude for playing. So I kind of stuck with singing and just fool around with the other things. Loving music, especially live music, does not automatically lead someone to promoting concerts. 
In Mike's case, it was an unexpected opportunity. The very first Christian radio station I worked at, very first radio station I worked at, I had the opportunity, I was on air, but I had the opportunity to do a concert because an agent called us and said, hey, we were supposed to be doing a show in Baltimore. The person that was doing the show has backed out. Would you guys do it as the radio station? We'll just split any money that's left over. And I had no idea, but I went, well, sure, there's no risk. We'll just, yeah, we'll help. We'll help this out. We'll do this. And that's how it started. There was a need, and Mike said, sure, I can do that. And that first concert, the artist who was coming to the Baltimore area, Rich Mullins. This was 1990, so when you think about it, Awesome God had been out a year and a half. He wasn't Rich Mullins, the guy we knew. He was like Rich Mullins. He was just another up-and-coming guy out there touring, and we played a little 300-seat church and sold it out, and... It was an amazing night. Rich Mullins would become an important figure in the history of contemporary Christian music. His faith in Jesus was authentic and somewhat raw. Amy Grant once even called Rich Mullins the uneasy conscience of Christian music. In 1998, Rich was honored by the Gospel Music Association as Artist of the Year. His best-known songs included Awesome God, Sometimes By Step, and My Deliverer. Sadly, Rich Mullins died in a tragic accident in 1997 at age 41. And I will say that my biggest regret was I was so tired and exhausted that as part of the radio station, I did what we call the walk-on, where the radio guy goes up front and goes, hi, I'm from the radio station. And I did the walk-on. And then I literally walked out, walked over into the fellowship hall, which is where we were having the meals for the day. And I sat for most of the show. And was just tired. And he played like two and a half hours. Even though Mike didn't watch much of that concert, he did get to spend some time with Rich. So after the concert, he we set up a signing, you know, a signing line. People want to meet him, have him sign something. He already had something in his rider, which is kind of tells the promoter how to do the show, that Rich had very strict things when it came to his signing. He needed to have be sitting at a table. And he needed to have someone sitting on either side of him so no one could come around him, behind him, or hug him, or any of that. After the concert, we had these 300 people, and I think every one of them stayed to meet Rich. And his tour manager, Beaker, sat on one side of him, and I sat on the other side of him for probably an hour and a half while he signed things. The side note on that was, it was the last day of July. And we were at a church with no air conditioning. It had been 101 that day, and it was about 90 at concert time. So the picture that I have of me and Rich Mullins is after the signing, literally both of us drenched because we just sat there and sweat on each other. Eventually, the station where Mike worked, the one that allowed him to promote that concert, folded, and Mike was out of radio. At that time, honestly, really questioning what God was having me do because I had really felt called to radio. So I was working um, with a ministry here in the Baltimore area doing their PR, but I really wasn't fulfilled with it. Didn't take up, you know, a lot of extra time. And honestly, I didn't have a lot of other things going on. And my wife looked at me and she goes, you really seem to enjoy doing that concert you know, why don't you, you know, would you ever think about doing that again? Mike agreed. And so that's really the impetus for doing the first 
set of concerts, which became a company that I had in the 90s called Different Sound Productions. At this point, you might be asking, what exactly does a concert promoter do? It takes a very unique and wide varied skill set to be a concert promoter because it really does involve a number of things. The concert promoter talks about booking the artist, like what artist do we want to bring to town? Then you have to decide based on that artist, what's the right venue? Is it a 300 seat church or is it the arena downtown or someplace in between? Then you have to book that place. So you're negotiating the financial deal for the artist, then you're negotiating the financial deal for the building, and then you're making sure everything happens with that. So that's getting tickets on sale. You're you're responsible for marketing the show, running the ads. Where should we run the ads? Do we print posters and flyers? Back when I started, there was an internet. It was, we have to print posters and flyers and do mailings and we have to make phone calls. And then day of the show, it's all the things the artists need. So getting the crew to set up the venue, whatever the building needs, making sure if there's uh, sound and lights that they need, the production, that that's ready to go and that that's there. All of the ticketing, making sure that everybody gets in, security. Anything and everything to do with the event except going on stage and playing the music is ultimately the concert promoter's responsibility. Out of radio, with a passion for music, live music, Mike agreed with his wife Stacy and formed this new concert promotion company. Different Sound Productions was started, I can't remember if it was specifically if it was at the end of 92 or the beginning of 93, but somewhere in that, somewhere in that range. Uh, It was a friend of mine and I who got together and we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring some concerts to the area. Started reaching out to some of the booking agents and said, here, here's who we are. Here's what I've done. You know, I used to be this radio guy. I I did this Rich Mullen show. So I kind of, kind of know what I'm doing. What can we do? So they started telling us, Hey, which is great. We'd love to have someone in your area. And we started talking about things. Mike freely admits there was a learning curve in those early days, a curve that sometimes left him on the wrong end when dealing with artist agents. This is going to be great. They're going to be amazing. And that's when you learn that like, hey, the agent, their job is to sell you the artist. So sometimes you have to stick with your gut and go, I don't, nobody knows who they are. I don't know that we can bring them to town and be financially successful. Because that's a piece of it. There's the ministry piece, and we want to do that. But without the money to make it go, then you're not going to have the ministry. Of course, as Mike mentioned earlier, he was promoting concerts without the Internet. That wasn't his only challenge. And even the radio in Baltimore was not contemporary Christian radio. There wasn't a way other than the mailings and the flyers and the other things to get the word out about concerts. Again, we didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. Uh, so we didn't probably make the best deals at that time. We probably paid too much for certain things. We picked artists that just didn't, didn't connect with anybody. Not everything was a grind. One of the concerts Mike and his company, Different Sound Productions, promoted, The Newsboys. We did that and had a sold-out show, uh, 1,200 people. It was an amazing night. 
it was so good. It was busy and it was wonderful. Promoting concerts is hard work. It's also risky. Three years in, um, having done these five or six shows, and we were probably at that point somewhere between ten and $15,000 in the hole. Now, this was after we had reached out to some friends, some people that we knew, and basically said, hey, would you would you loan us money to get started? We need some money. We have to put deposits down on the venues. We have to put some deposits down on the artists. So could you, would you loan us some money? We'll, we'll write up a form. We wrote up, you know, promissory notes basically and said, you're giving us a thousand dollars. Thank you. We'll pay it back by this point. I was using personal credit cards. Already in debt, hoping to dig out, Mike and his company decided to try one more show. One that felt like a pretty sure thing because the band, DeGarmo and Key, were one of the more popular groups in Christian music at the time. And by the time, the last show that we did was the Acoustic Cafe tour with DeGarmo and Key. And again, this is DeGarmo and Key. They were a band at that time that before then, I mean, they would be selling out 2,000, 3,000 seats. They were doing this kind of farewell, smaller acoustic tour and it was great. And we thought, oh, this is me great to at least do like a thousand seats. And I think we sold 230 tickets. I literally remember sitting in catering, looking at uh, my friend who I'd partnered with. And my wife had been there because she was doing a lot of the catering backstage. She was handling a lot of the food for us at that time. And I just went, his name was Keith. And I just said, Keith, I, I, I think we might be done. Different sound productions was done, but Mike wasn't. Not only do I have $10,000 in credit card bills, but we now have another, whatever it was, four or $5,000 in promissory notes of people that we promised that we were going to pay. You know, Keith and I made the decision we needed to shut down. And, and then we just sat down and said, okay, we can each afford to put X amount of dollars into the pot each month to work out a payment plan to just not only pay off the credit cards, but then to pay these people back. Mike says it took more than four years to completely pay down that debt and honor the commitments he made to his creditors and those who loaned the company money. It's also important to understand that Different Sound Productions was never Mike's full-time job. It was part-time and motivated not only by Mike's passion for live music, but also the impact it could have on others. I wanted someone else to have that same amazing live experience where it wasn't just this music in this band is great, but oh my goodness, Jesus is right in this music. The Holy Spirit is just flowing through this place. And and I wanted others to have that. And with the end of Different Sound Productions, Mike believed that chapter in his life was over. I thought this was um this was it. I mean, we we were sad, but it was like, okay, may, you know, God saying us, this is our time. This was it learned a lesson. Okay. And, and that was it. So honestly, yeah, I didn't think I'd be doing concerts again, but still this failure was causing Mike to wrestle with some deeper questions. And that's hard because you're, you're feeling like this is what God's calling you to do. And I felt like it was again, the second time I'd felt like God had called me to Christian radio. And then because of the situation with that radio station, uh, they were falling apart financially, the, the larger ministry. So I had to leave. And now this, and I felt like, oh, what, what is this? Gratefully, this wasn't the final chapter of Mike's radio career or promoting concerts. Mm-hmm. 
last year, listeners to Long Story Short got to know Nikki Healy, a young mother who was battling stage four rectal cancer. Nikki gave us all a backstage pass to a year of her treatment. We got to experience Nikki's humor, her strength, and her deep faith. The bus for Grace doesn't show up until you need, until you have the ticket in hand and you need it. Thinking and worrying and stressing about all these other things that may happen, may not happen. Like you don't have the grace for it at the moment because it's not actually happening. And so there's been weeks where I'm like, I think I have another tumor. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like freaking out, crying. And then I get to the office and he confirms, yes, there is. And then you're just, okay. (laughs) And that's weird. Like that's only God. Sadly, Nikki died just 13 hours after the final episode was released. The following season of Long Story Short, Nikki's husband Steve extended the backstage pass and walked us through Nikki's final days as well as the weeks and months following her death. Gratefully, Nikki's story is not over. She continues to inspire so many. To honor Nikki's legacy, J29 Incorporated, founded by Tracy Mills, has created the Nikki Healy Memorial Scholarship Fund to help other families that have also been impacted by the devastation of cancer. You're invited to learn more by visiting j29inc.com backslash Nikki-Healy or tap the link in the show notes. You can also apply and donate to the scholarship fund as well. The Nikki Healy Memorial Scholarship Fund is 501c3 pending in the state of Maryland. It was an honor getting to know Nikki, and I miss my young friend. I'm grateful to Tracy Mills and J29 Incorporated for continuing Nikki's legacy with this scholarship fund. Shortly before she died, Nikki gave us all this advice. Be brave, set boundaries, stand up for yourself, love Jesus, and take lots of vacations. In 2000, Mike Alley started working at WRBS-FM to be part of a new morning show. Next time with Dick Ireland and the Morning Crew. We'll have a pair of tickets to give away to the movie End of the Spear. That's the big movie about the Ecuadorian missionaries that opens this weekend. Mm-hmm. And we'll have your favorite music, of course. And all the information you need to kick off your week the right way. And some smiles along the way. Dick Ireland and the Morning Crew, uplifting and encouraging. Weekday mornings on 95.1. WRBS-FM was also changing musically, becoming more contemporary. Because of that, the station was looking for ways to let the community know there was a positive and uplifting radio option. I just remember we were sitting around the conference room, and there was a discussion about we want to do something to promote the new morning show and kind of the new flavor of WRBS and what we were playing musically. I remember sitting around that table and we kept landing on Easter, doing something around Easter. And we talked about, do we bring in a speaker? And we kind of landed on, what if we did an Easter praise concert? And I just remember Steve looking around and going, okay, who's going to do that? And I just remember raising my hand and going, I do concerts. That makes me smile every time. Not, I did concerts, I do concerts. Steve, by the way, is the longtime general manager of WRBS. Mike still had connections with a team of people who could help him pull this off and promote a concert for the station. I should also mention, this was not the first time WRBS did a concert. There had been a couple of others, but as you can imagine, promoting a concert successfully is really challenging, even for those who have experience. Because of that, Steve was cautious and wanted to meet Mike's team first. 
so we got everybody on a Saturday morning together around the conference table. And I said, Steve, here's the team. This is my person, Jeff, who's going to handle all the technical. This is so-and-so is going to handle all of the merchandise. Here's the person who's going to handle ticketing. And with that, Mike was given the green light to find an artist and promote a concert close to Easter. The artist chosen was a group called Watermark. They were a husband and wife duo, Nathan and Christy Knuckles, who had a bunch of well-known songs playing on the station. We sold out the show. And I will never forget being in the lobby. The show was going on. I'd been in the lobby. The show had started and maybe been about 10 minutes on. Steve walked in the front doors, looked around, walked up to me, and he goes, looks like it's going well. And I said, super smooth. He went, great. And I said, yep. I said, everything's going great. He walked around. And I want to say that was might have been a Friday or a Saturday. So Monday morning after we did the show, Steve called me into his office, sat down, congratulated me on the great show and went, can you do that again? WRBS-FM eventually became Shine FM, now Bright FM. After Dick Ireland and the morning crew, Mike was part of Tracy, Mike and Dave, and now Tracy and Mike. The station also formed a separate division for the concert ministry called 48 Live. 48 is a nod to the year Peter and John Bissett, the founders of WRBS, began doing a 15-minute radio program in Baltimore in 1948. 48 Live is a team including Mike, Stephen Price, Becky Garzone, and Tiffany Knight, plus hundreds of volunteers who are ready to help on concert day. Since that day, Steve Lawhon asked Mike if he could do it again. Bright FM and 48 Live have done more than 150 concerts. Toby Mack for King and Country, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, Watermark, Stela, Fernando Ortega, FFH, Big Daddy Weave, Chris Tomlin, Danny Gokey, Mercy Me, Casting Crowns, Avalon, Torrin Wells, Matt Marr, We Are Messengers, Matthew West, Jars of Clay, Lauren Daigle, Switchfoot, Out of the Gray, Brandon Heath, my goodness, I'm blanking all of a sudden. (laughs) So weird, like all of a sudden it's like, how many many artists have we done? And where these concerts happen continues to expand. 48 Live has really expanded, of course, first just into the mid-Atlantic, and that includes, of course, Washington, D.C. area, the whole DMV area, Northern Virginia, over to the south down of Salisbury, the whole Dome Arva, Delaware, that area. We've gone up into the uh, Pennsylvania area, over from Harrisburg, over to Philly, um, and even a little farther north than that. We're we're now doing things in New Jersey. Richmond is a market for us, the Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. But we've touched eight different states over the years. We've done things as far away as North Carolina and Tennessee and Kentucky and West Virginia and uh, New York. And El Paso, how could we forget Tim Hawkins, the Tim Hawkins El Paso show. And actually, we just did a concert in California for Danny Gokey about a year ago. I said at the beginning, this was a story about failure and a return from failure. Mike Alley started a concert promotion company and failed. He thought that chapter of his life was finished. It wasn't. 
20 years and more than 150 concerts later, Mike and his team at 48 Live are part of a story that God is still writing. Before we finished our conversation, I asked Mike if he had a concert story he'd like to share. He told me two. You've already heard one, Hey Cookie Man. (laughs) The other was about a concert where ticket sales weren't going well. It was what we call an anomaly a weirdness in this business and that is that you can never predict how sales are going to go for a concert even with a top selling artist like mercy me we had a mercy me concert at a great theater on a saturday night in october then it should have been great and we were having so much trouble selling tickets Uh, about a week or so out from the concert i remember coming to you because you were program director at the time and steve our boss and saying Guys, we are down literally tens of thousands of dollars on this show. We're going to lose. I don't know why. There makes no sense. And we all prayed. And then we all said, okay, we're going to do more things on the air. And we're going to talk about it. And when we got to the show, we went from literally tens of thousands of dollars in a losing position to losing about $600 on the show. Mike calls it the best $600 he's ever lost promoting a concert. But it's not the entire story. If you remember, I also said at the beginning of the episode, this is a story of hope and how God is using Bright FM and 48 Live to make hope louder when people need it the most. That night at the show, there was a woman who had a very, very difficult time in her marriage and was, was as she put it, just on the brink. And she came to this show. Bart, the lead singer of the band, came up to a point in the show. It was before a song, so the band was kind of playing. He was talking a little about the song. And you could tell this is kind of his normal talk over as he talks up this song, as he kind of is introducing it. And he got to a point, he kind of paused. And I just thought, "Did, did he just forget what he was supposed to say? And then he launched into another five minutes of talking before he launched into their song, Beautiful. It touched that woman so much, that song, because she said, I have never felt beautiful. And I was never told I was beautiful. And I was so downhearted and I was so um, depressed and sad. And I walked out of there a different person. I walked out of there changed and knowing that there was a God that saw me as beautiful. Isaiah 40:31 Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. A preview of our next episode is straight ahead. Long story short is a production of Brighter Media Group. John Lawhon is the executive producer. Thanks also to Todd Gaddy, Caroline Burke, Aaron Branham and Lara Ong. Next time on Long Story Short, you'll hear a story of a life that did not go as expected. What does my life look like without this? I made a conscious decision to grieve because life was not turning out the way that I thought it would. We all need the hope of Jesus, even those who work at a radio station that makes hope louder. If Long Story Short is making hope louder for you, would you consider sharing the podcast with others? You can personally invite someone to listen. You can also share the podcast on social media. 
Five-star rating and review helps others who discover Long Story Short make the decision to listen and hear a story of hope, maybe just when they need it. And thank you for listening, and let's connect again next time for Long Story Short, Season 5, Episode 4.